Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Previously on Resurrection. Janet is mentioned in these letters more than anyone else, by far. But who was this woman and why was she important to Daryl? Janet had to work in Long Beach. Janet may have a new lover. Janet and I saw the Muppet movie Friday night, loved it. I hadn't realized that while Dan and Daryl were meeting, falling in love and writing feverish letters back and forth, that all that time Daryl was still married, still in touch with his wife, still seeing her nearly every day. My darling, Janet and I, for all practical purposes, are over. She still doesn't want a divorce. But I did get her to admit that she's afraid if we would divorce, I would disappear. Janet, I decide, is the key. I spent hours trying to find her online. There's a program with no other leads, no other known relatives of Daryl's. I have to abandon the hunt for Janet. Uh, hello, we're in Kansas. <laughs> Welcome to Kansas. I'm Cindy Lopez, and I grew up as Cindy Allen. There is one thing that happened on my drive with Cindy that I haven't told you up to this point. You know, when he was married, you know... I was oh. told you might have her contact information. Do you have... But uh, Dorothy's friends with her on Facebook. I send her a message that day, while I'm still in Kansas. Dane, Daryl left the rights to all his works jointly to me and the partner he was with when he died, Jonathan Houston. Jonathan died in 2017, so now it's just me. Any project that includes his works could affect the ability to publish those works later. Is Janet telling me to stop? If she does have the rights to Daryl's work, and if she doesn't let me use it, this entire project could be jeopardized. This could be the end. Janet Allen. Hi, Janet. It's Dane calling. How are you? Hey, Dane. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> Crazy day. <laughs> Excellent. Wow, Dane. Great work. Not awkward at all. <laughs> oh, it has been? Yeah. Oh, wrestling with healthcare stuff. Claims denied, that kind of stuff. You know, it's like, just let this day be done. <laughs> Quick, Dane. Break the ice. Talk about something casual. Talk about, uh, socialized medicine. Oh, no. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's, uh, yeah, I've been talking to some people down here about healthcare, and it's not, it's not like it is in Canada. Oh, it? no. It's a nightmare. It's a broken system. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. So you've been, you've been talking with the family, huh? 
I have been talking with the family. I'm in I'm in Kansas right now. So <laughs> it's I honestly can't believe that I'm talking to you right now. Like I, I this is a, this is great. So um what <laughs> <laughs> what, what am I doing? I suppose is the question. Well, well no. It's it, what's intriguing to me is that out of out of Danny giving you a a script, this whole thing evolved, and I I'm curious about what what spoke to you. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I'll sort of give you a rundown on how everything happened, and I think that will. I explain everything to Janet. My fateful meeting with Dan, going through all of Daryl's letters, traveling to Kansas, meeting his family, visiting his grave, rediscovering his childhood home. I talk about how Daryl's play, Mustang Zero One, captured my interest from the very beginning. Uh, I took the play home and I read it. And I mean, I mean, you've read it. It's a great play. And there are like some really... I've lived with it. <laughs> Daryl wrote those plays when we were together for the most part. And he just, I mean... They sort of, they become a part of your world, you know. Daryl's plays are my young. The plays were our children. So that's, that was the reaction in that email. You know, you're messing with my kids. What do you want to do with my kids? <laughs> Janet needed to protect Daryl, protect his work, their work, their children. We were talking about what drew you to, to working with the material, I think what really drew me to it was sort of almost comparing my own life to the life that Daryl led and thinking about like just how privileged I have been to have been able to live, lead the life that I have versus like some of the trials that he had to go through simply based on when he was born. You know, if I feel that his, that his work and his life are being honored, then, you know, I'm, I'm, open to just about anything. What Daryl asked me to do was to keep an eye on his work to make sure that the integrity was maintained. And this is how Janet and I arrived at an agreement. I also would love to have a bit of an ethical check uh, in place, someone who knew Daryl and would say like, no, he would not want this on stage. Yeah. <laughs> should probably take it out. Yeah. Well, if yeah. you're open to that, then I, you know, I would be happy to be that check. Janet agreed to read through every script that I write for this podcast. And so did Dan. Dan Wiley, Daryl's ex-boyfriend who had given me his letters and the script to Mustang Zero One in the first place. Actually, Janet and Dan have read through every word that you've already heard since the beginning of episode one. Sounds to me like your heart's in the right place, and that's, that was the only thing that would have caused me to hesitate. Janet and Dan read through each episode and they give me their feedback. If they'd like anything removed or more context added, anything like that. And I do my best to honor their memories of Daryl. You know, it's hard. It's, in a way, it's a little hard for me because this reaffirms for me that he's actually dead, you know? And um, he, was, he was a major part of my life. I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't be doing the things that I've done in my life if it hadn't been for him. Me either, Janet. Daryl's dead. That's a fact. It's impossible to know for sure what he would want included and what he wouldn't. But by consulting with two of the people who are closest to him, I think I've given it a good effort. Oh, Dane, wow. Did you have any idea when you first got excited about this, the way in which it could take over your life? I, um... <laughs> Like, I'm standing here in Independence, Kansas, and I am talking to Janet Allen, and I had no idea that I could not have foreseen this happening. And, but you know what? I have never felt, I've never felt like, like I've had, like, I've been handed a story that's as important as this story. And I feel like it can be meaningful. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I want to give it my all to to get it out there. Now that we've got Janet on board, it's time for the next chapter of the story. Up to this point, we've learned about the end of Daryl's life, from when he met Dan in San Francisco up until his death in 1991. And we've learned about his childhood, what it was like growing up in small-town Kansas in a little farmhouse with eight siblings. But there's a gap in the middle. Daryl's early adulthood, his 20s and 30s. Well, today, we're going to fill that gap. And there's a lot to get through. This episode's going to be a little bit longer than the others, but trust me, it's worth it. 
This is Janet's side of the story, told in five acts. Act one, the chameleon. Janet and I did extensive interviews through the end of 2019 and early 2020. I live in the wine country of uh, California. She lives in Sonoma County, just north of San Francisco. I was born in Pasadena, California, but uh, my dad was military, and so we only lived here for 18 months before we moved. I then, you know, lived in many, many, many states and countries, and um, as an adult wound up going to school back in Northern California, and that has become my home. She ended up staying in California after Daryl moved away. She's in her 70s. I look at pictures of her on Facebook. She has a youthful smile and empathetic eyes. You can tell she's a person who feels deeply, who's also gifted with the ability to articulate those feelings. All of this becomes apparent when we begin the longest set of interviews I did for this entire podcast. And it was... uh... A lot of jumping around, moving around due to your father's military service? Yeah. I, he was in the Air Force, and I was, just to give you an example, in one year of high school, I was in four different high schools. By the time I graduated, you know, from kindergarten through 12th grade, I had been in 13 schools. It's hard for an introvert to travel that much and have to meet new people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you feel that impacted your uh, your childhood? You know, it forced me to learn how to engage with people in as authentic a way as I could. You know, I was always kind of quiet, but it, but I learned to make friends because you had to. Could you tell me what you were like as a kid? Yeah, I was... Um, this doesn't go counter to what I said about really kind of being an introvert, but I was also a performer. I was the neighborhood organizer. I would put shows together for all the kids in the neighborhood to do. Before I ever studied ballet, I got a book out of the library and set up a ballet class on my driveway with all the neighborhood kids. I was a storyteller. That's what led into acting in high school was because it was about storytelling, and I didn't, you know, I got to be somebody else. I had a boss once who referred to me as a chameleon because I could fit in anywhere. I could talk to anybody. I could um, communicate with anybody. And so he referred to me as a chameleon. And I think I learned that from moving around the way I did and from being that kid who always looked around her and kind of created story out of wherever she was and whatever she was doing. Janet's family moved around, bound to her father's job in the Air Force. Her, her dad, her mom, and... I have one brother. David. Who is four years younger than I am. We were really close because we traveled so much that we were always having to make new friends. So we were the constant friend in each other's lives. When Janet was 17, the family was living in Washington State. This is where Janet and Daryl meet. And let me just say, this is a very different version of Daryl than I'm used to. He was 26 when they met, a few years out of college, and in the Air Force himself. And... I'd just like you to take a minute and guess where Janet and Daryl met. Just take a guess. And now, I present Daryl in his 20s. He was a substitute Sunday school teacher for my mother, who was the Sunday school superintendent at the um, McCord Air Force Base Chapel in um, Tacoma, Washington. Daryl Allen, Sunday school teacher. She called him to come teach one Sunday, and, and that's how we actually met him. And he just connected really well with all of us. You know, my brother was like 14, I was 17. And Daryl did what Daryl does best. He came into the lives of Janet and her brother as a mentor, someone to nurture them when they really needed it. And he took us under his wing because my dad was in Vietnam at the time. He was in some ways... I don't want to call him a third parent because that makes it uh, far too creepy that we got married. Um, There there are real, real, real parallels in in the relationships that were important to Daryl. He took younger people in hand and didn't tell them what to do, but just helped them understand how to be their best self. 
He did it with my brother. He did it with other people. He did it with Dan, too. He just kept an eye on us, you know, just made sure that we were okay, you know. The reason that I, I, I think the reason our relationship could evolve as it did later was because he was, he was a friend first. I think about Daryl in this new light. A Sunday school teacher, an Air Force officer, a supportive presence to a family struggling with a father in Vietnam. And then I think about the Daryl in Dan's life. Sleeping on the theater floor in San Francisco, bar hopping gay bars in New York, going to underground gay clubs filled with bathtubs and kinksters. To me, there's only one word that describes his ability to move so smoothly in different circles. Chameleon. As a bisexual man, and as a playwright, he was inevitably a chameleon. It's not just that he could observe people, understand them, and interact with them, but in order to understand himself... Throughout his life, he had no choice but to cross between communities, between worlds, experiencing the gay life and the straight life, trying to unpack his own in-betweenness at a time when that in-betweenness wasn't even recognized by most of the world. I wonder if this chameleon nature, something that Janet had in herself too, I wonder if this is one of the things that connected her and Daryl. By the time Janet was 19... Things had started to grow between them. He and I had sort of become a couple, but not... He was going overseas. Daryl was being deployed to Thailand to fight in the Vietnam War. And he didn't want to tie Janet down while he was gone. He had said before he left, you know, you're young, you need to see what your life is about. And so, Daryl deployed with the U.S. Air Force. And while he was overseas, the two realized that they missed each other. A lot. And in an attempt to deal with those feelings... Janet got married. Unfortunately, it wasn't to Daryl. I don't think he thought that I'd do anything as stupid as marry somebody that I'd known for four months, which I did. And while Janet was struggling back home, Daryl was struggling overseas. And he had changed. He was always a he was always a guy that thought deeply about things, could go into some pretty deep depressions. But when he came back from Vietnam or Thailand, from that whole war experience, he was even more fragmented, if that's the right word, a little more volatile, a little more um, moody. Once Daryl was back from Thailand, it became clear to Janet that our marriage had been a mistake. We were able to pick up in conversation exactly where we left off. Do you have a friend that you can fall out of touch with and when you have a phone call, you pick right back up where you were. That's what it was. We knew within hours that we were going to have to untangle everything just so that we could be together. I like to imagine that Janet was a bit of an anchor for Daryl. She helped him find the parts of himself that had fragmented during the war and put them back together again. So Janet ended up divorcing her partner so that she and Daryl could be together. And once the divorce was final, Janet and Daryl finally meet to spend a night together. But before they can be with each other, there's one more thing Daryl has to share. The first night I was with him, before we ever did the deed, he said to me, I, there's something I need to tell you. I, I think I'm bisexual. And I... I broke down. This happened in 1968. This was before Stonewall, before most of gay liberation. And it's not like Daryl and Janet were in the left-wing activist scene. Janet was from a military family, and Daryl was still in the Air Force. I cannot overstate the ramifications of coming out at this time. I broke down. Not because I judged the behavior, but because I thought it meant he couldn't be with me. And so we sat up all night talking. That's when he told me that, you know, his first experience with a woman was, or a girl was when he was 14, and the next day or night he was with a boy, and it had been back and forth, and it was eating him up, and he didn't know what to do with it. Daryl was a chameleon from the very beginning. But Janet understood his chameleon nature. She didn't judge. She stuck by his side. He found a psychiatrist near where we lived, 
<laughs> this will date everything. This was like 1968, I think. He goes to the psychiatrist. He has three sessions with the guy. The guy asks to meet me. I go in. I meet the guy. He asks me to wait in the waiting room. When Daryl comes out, he's just shaking his head. And I said, okay, what's, what's going on? He said, well, <laughs> he says, I'm really lucky to be with you because you'll cure me. God, yeah. And even I know, I mean, as naive as I was, I knew that was, that was wrong. It was false. It was, it was treating it like a disease. It's not a disease. So Janet and Daryl decide that's enough psychiatry. They'll figure it out on their own. Well, on their own, but together. And we didn't want a big wedding. I had done a big wedding the first time, and look how that worked out. So we, we knew that we just wanted to be married at my parents' house, and that's what we did. It was June 18th, 1969. And that brings us to Act Two, the marriage. There's a play that Daryl wrote called Persephone Rising. It's about two women, neighbors, who live in apartments side by side in San Francisco. One of the women is a few years older, more experienced, grounded. The other is younger, just escaping a mistake of a marriage she made in her youth. I cannot help but imagine that some of the inspiration for these characters came from Daryl's marriage to Janet. As much as they were partners, they were also friends. And as much as they were husband and wife, he was also her mentor. The play opens with a monologue from the older woman, the one I imagine, at least in some ways, to be Daryl. I believe life is a series of gates. You instinctively know when you approach one. Some inner sense rises up around you and your very life reeks of change. You have a choice. You can stay on this side of the fence and never go through. The adventuresome always go, knowing full well that the gate will immediately slam shut and you can never go back. Things are never really the same. Daryl and Janet's decision to be together, their marriage. It's a gate that they crossed through together. And in the first few years that followed, the two continued walking through these life gates together, arm in arm, the adventuresome. So we were married in June. I, uh, let's see, by the end of the summer, he had orders to go back to the Air Force Institute of Technology for his master's. What did he do his master's in? Logistics management, which to a creative mind was kind of like the kiss of death. But it was a master's, you know? Remember, this is the same guy who, in the 80s, would never stick with a job for too long, would never put down roots, would live in cheap rooming houses in New York. Does that sound like someone who could last long working in logistics management for the U.S. Air Force? So... Nights and weekends, I mean, even when he was in the graduate program, he wrote plays at night. He wrote plays on the weekend. It, you know, we, we didn't have a table that really worked for his typewriter, and so he put the typewriter on top of the dryer, the clothes dryer, yeah, and sat, sat on a big stool. And, um, you know, he'd come home from, he'd come home from um, classes and sit down to start writing, and I would cook dinner, and often we wouldn't eat dinner till 10 at night because he'd be on a writing streak. Uh, so he continued to do that when he began to work in logistics management, but he really was miserable. I mean, every Sunday, I knew the drill. He would look at me and say, oh, God, I hate to go to work tomorrow. And then, just like Daryl writes in his script, a gate emerges. One of those big life gates. If you go through it, everything will change. And at one point, he just said to me, this would have been in 1972, uh, he would have said to me, um, how would you feel if I got out of the Air Force? And I said, okay, what are we going to do? And he said, well, I thought we'd go to Northern California and start a theater company. This is where I see the Daryl I know from Dan's letters start to emerge. It feels like he finally stopped living his life according to what he thought other people wanted from him and instead started living for himself. And Janet thinks there might be more behind Daryl's decision to move to California. I'm not sure the extent to which his 
re-energizing bisexuality had something to do with it because during that time he was in the service, he as much as said this to me more than once, it kept him on the straight and narrow because he could have been court-martialed. He could have dishonorable discharge, you know, that kind of thing. Leaving the Air Force and moving to California, it let Daryl and Janet have the chance to pursue their theater dreams. But it also put Daryl in a position where he could explore his bisexuality. Janet and Daryl walked through this gate, hand in hand. They moved across the country to Sonoma, the same town Janet would return to later in life, the same town where she's talking to me from now. And both of us fell in love with it. It's a small town, 10,000 people, that's it. And so we came here to start a theater company, and a friend of ours had a, a barn, basically, that was built out of redwood. I mean, it was really solid that hadn't been used in years. And we and the group of people we put together scrubbed it from top to bottom with cold water to clean it up. And um, we began doing uh, stage readings for invited audiences because we were going to need to raise money to do this thing. Janet and Daryl's love was often expressed through the art they created together. He was a writer, she was an actress, playwright, and muse. The plays he wrote always had a role for me. Janet was his muse. She showed up as a character in every play. That's what he did with... He, he really um, anatomized people. He would watch them and kind of, you know take mental notes, and then use pieces of them in different characters. And so when he would write a play, he would write a a particular role for me, but I would show up in other characters because he, he knew me so well. He had watched me for so long. As Janet has told me already, the plays they created together, they were their children. But Janet and Daryl's time in Sonoma, with their barn converted to a theater... It was their first try at being artists. And they had wonderful times together, writing and acting. There was just one problem with their plan. Well, now, understand, this was 1973. Sonoma was such a small town. For us to think at that time that this tiny community could support a theater company was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, that's where... That's where the creative imagination gets in our way. So what, what it sounds like you're telling me is that the theater company did not succeed commercially? Oh, well, that would be one way of putting it. You know, we all had to hold down uh, full-time jobs. It was a non-starter from the beginning, and we couldn't see it. And then another gate emerges. Walk through the gate and change your life forever. Janet and Daryl spent this year together in Sonoma, but when the theater company collapsed, Daryl felt the pull of the nearby city, San Francisco. San Francisco's thriving gay community called to him. And so, he walked through that gate. But this time, Janet didn't come with him. He moved into San Francisco and began living the life that he had put on hold all the time he was in the Air Force. And all the time... See, Daryl always took on responsibility. He took on responsibility, you know, within his family. He took on responsibility within the Air Force. And then as we start this theater company, none of us knew what we were doing. He was the oldest one. And he was the one who kept us organized, you know? So I think all at once he was just done. For his entire life... Daryl had muted his attraction to men. Sure, he'd been with men before, he'd explored, but he'd never lived it deeply. And now he was ready. Which brings us to Act 3, the in-between. We'll be back with Act 3 right after this break. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey everyone, Dane here. I wanted to take a minute to remind you that this podcast is fully independent. If you like this kind of storytelling and you want to hear more, please consider supporting us by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon. Patreon supporters get tons of cool perks, but one of the coolest perks is access to extended interviews. Take Janet, for example. Over the years, I've recorded more than 10 hours of interviews with Janet, but you're only hearing a fraction of those interviews in the series. If you want to hear more from her, we'll be releasing an extended interview with her soon. I poured so much time into this series, and I really want to be able to tell more stories like Daryl's. If you want to help me do that, join our Patreon. The link's in the show notes and at patreon.com slash resurrectionpodcast. That's one S double R. Also, just listening to the show is a form of support. We love you all and appreciate you taking the time to listen to this story. Let's get back to it. Daryl Allen was not a saint. Sometimes I have a tendency to put him on a pedestal. It's honestly a pretty easy thing to do with the dead. But Daryl was not perfect. Daryl had a real dark side. He would hit real blue stretches where he would go off backpacking by himself for three weeks at a time. I, you know, I, I'm thinking that the, the, the bisexual pull was not always easy for him. The understanding that he was in some ways uh, two different people. It, it would be like, you know, he, if you have a limb that's bothering you, you don't cut it off. You function, you work with it. He would be really down and really down and really down. And I'm talking about the times where he did not go off backpacking. He was just depressed. And he would kind of smile and he would not talk much. And then all at once, two or three weeks later, it was like a cloud lifted. And whatever he was struggling with, he made sense of. And then the optimism returned. But it wasn't there all the time. Do you have any idea of, of what he did to make sense of it? He wrote. When Janet and Daryl were living in Sonoma, trying to start their theater company, they got in a fight. It was this fight that inspired Daryl to move to San Francisco on his own. But it wasn't the end of their marriage. And it wasn't their last fight. It was the beginning of a pattern of breaking up and getting back together. We broke up and got together and broke up and got together. We went through that. for We were married for 12 years. I mean, that's a long marriage. And we, we did that break up and get back together thing for probably six or eight of those years. When Daryl left Sonoma for San Francisco, Janet followed him a few months later. When we were together, it was still really, really good. We were, um, I don't know, we were a fit. And... And then something would happen, and it would um, go off the rails again. The way I see it, society wasn't ready for the type of relationship Janet and Daryl needed. 
yes, they were together and they were in love and they had a deep connection. But Daryl needed to connect with men, too. He needed to explore that part of himself. And as much as Janet understood that intellectually, a part of her was still hurt by it. As far as he was concerned, it was perfectly understandable that he should remain married to me, but see men when he wanted to. And I can remember some nights where I was just in physical pain because he called and said, I'm not coming home tonight. And I was not, it was not, um, it was not a happy thing for me. Janet and Daryl were exploring a queer, polyamorous relationship in 1973, Daryl's sexuality was grounds for dismissal from many jobs. Psychiatrists called him diseased. A lot of the vocabulary that we use to understand these types of relationships today, it just didn't exist yet. I've been in poly relationships before, and my saving grace has been the ability to read blogs and articles online to understand how other people have navigated these non-normative relationship structures. Daryl and Janet, they didn't have that option. And, you know, one of the ways I dealt with it I decided, well, if he could see other people, so could I, and um, made him crazy, made him absolutely bats. He could understand, he knew that if he had, didn't have the bisexual pull, he would, he would have been faithful to me. I mean, he has, he has much as said that. But he had this pull going on, right? So in his eyes, my going out with another guy was betraying him. Um, There was no way that I wanted him to deny being who he was. That's not who I am. And at the same time, I didn't want to be miserable, you know? Daryl was no saint. I think this double standard makes that apparent enough, but I can't help imagine that in today's world, they might have been able to create a relationship framework that could have worked. Instead, they fought. Oh, this will give you a visual of what the arguments were like. Both of us had really good lung power. We could both shout pretty well. And there was one time he was being, I don't know, in my estimation, a real jerk. (laughs) Probably. Probably he was. So I I, I flung myself on him and tried to strangle him. Yeah. Now, understand, I'm five foot three, you know, my weight has always hovered between 100 and 110 pounds. Um, and he was 5'9", and, and a stocky guy. And as we processed it later, he said it was like being attacked by an angry hummingbird. And Janet wasn't the only one to get dramatic. He, uh, you know, we broke, up, we broke up so many times, so many times. And at one point, he's, at the end of a letter, he said very dramatically, run, Jan, run like hell. It's like, yeah, that wasn't vitriolic, but it was a little bit of a drama queen. Um, He could be impossible, you know? He's a Sagittarius. He's mutable. But in the end, it was Daryl who ran. Finally, it went off the rails one too many times, and he actually left San Francisco, and I think that's when he went to Albuquerque, I think, maybe. And um, what would happen is when he would come back to town, he would stay with me. And things would just be dandy. I mean, we were, we were close to each other's best friends. They stayed married, but Daryl left San Francisco. First, he went to New York. Then, he went to Albuquerque. I know this because he started writing letters to Janet. Also, just an aside before I get into these letters, Janet actually had lost them. When we first started chatting back in 2019, she lost them, had no idea where they were. It was about a year and a half later that she stumbled upon them tucked inside another folder in her house. She found them the same week that I sat down to start writing this episode. It was almost like Daryl was saying, wait, don't forget about these. January 4th, 1977. Dearest Janet, how are you? I hope things are going well with you and that you had a good New Year's. And I love you. I'm sorry that things so often get so bad between us. I know I must be atrocious to live with, but I miss you. I miss being able to talk to you. I hope you miss me. But what I wanted to say with this is to vow that no matter what happens to us personally, you will always have first crack at any of my roles you may want, including all the future ones that will be written for you. Even in this letter from 1976, it's clear that the marriage, it might not last. 
Daryl leaves a clue, too, explaining what's happening to him deep under the surface. This is from a letter he wrote to Janet in 1977. But the most exciting news is I attended a lecture under the stars at the U last night. Daryl attends a public lecture from a humanities professor. The professor was disabled physically. From having polio at the age of 11 after having started to set records at 10 years old as a baseball player. I immediately, in my own mind, substituted being bisexual. Daryl substitutes bisexuality for disability, and he listens to the man's lecture. There is an expansion of yourself that is difficult for those who haven't approached life this way to comprehend. Daryl's bisexuality, his chameleon nature, his in-betweenness, it always made him feel misunderstood. Those who have gone through it seem out of touch to others. He felt people couldn't relate to him. I think this is the reason Daryl left his stable job in the Air Force. He felt misunderstood. I think it's why he became so engaged with the gay community, and I think it might be the reason why, in 1982, he and Janet divorced. But we loved each other in a way that I can't even... I can't even define. I can't put words to. We were essential until we weren't anymore. So long as there was that... I'll call it marital bond. So long as that bond was there, we never even discussed divorce. It just wasn't an issue. He went off and traveled and lived in other cities and would be back in touch. And finally, at the point at which I had moved on enough that I was claiming my own life, at that point, he came back into town, where I was in L.A. by then, and... uh, I brought up divorce. I remember him, he put, put his hand on mine and he said, thank you. I think it's time. And that brings us to Act Four, two pandemics. So, we're caught up. This podcast started looking at Daryl's life in 1979 when he met Dan in San Francisco, just before Janet and Daryl's divorce. We went to Kansas, we filled in his early life, and now Janet has filled in the gap, his 20s and 30s. Now we have a timeline, a version of the whole story of Daryl's whole life. But that's not how life works. Our lives aren't one single timeline. There are many timelines of the different people we touch, of the different stories we write. And Janet and Daryl's story continued, even after the divorce in 1982, after Daryl was living mostly as a gay man. The first time I flew back to see him in Boston. Uh, We were walking somewhere, and uh, one of us had just read that when you get through a a sticky divorce and come out the other side, it's like two survivors of a shipwreck. They recognize in each other what they've been through. After the divorce, Janet and Daryl stayed friends, just like Daryl stayed friends with Dan after they broke up. And as the 80s ticked by... Daryl started to get sick. I knew that he'd been really sick, and I flew back to Boston. Janet wanted to help. You know, I got to the apartment, and the kitchen was a disaster. And I was going to cook dinner, so the first thing I did was clean the kitchen, of course. And Daryl sat on a chair, and we just talked. We talked, and we talked, and we talked. And I think by then he knew about the lymphoma, and that was enough of a slam But I remember I was standing at the sink, and I said to him, I turned around and I said, "Um, well, there's not, you know, there's not any possibility of AIDS or anything, is there? And his eyes locked on mine, and he didn't say yes or no. He just did this kind of half smile. And I went over and knelt down next to him and hugged him. In the years that followed, Janet continued to support Daryl and Jonathan. She still lived in California, but when she could, she'd fly to Boston to stay with them and help. Even the last time I saw him, which was only three weeks before he died, uh, I was there about a week. And he was really not well when I first got there, to the point that he came out of the shower one time. Jonathan was at work. Daryl came out of the shower and went into his bedroom, and I was... I was doing things in the kitchen. It's what women do. I don't know. I, uh, oh, I know what it was, because he went in and out of 
uh, memory problems at that point. I was reorganizing the cabinets and labeling them so he knew where everything was. Once the lymphoma had crossed the blood-brain barrier, Daryl started to lose parts of himself. And he was in back in his bedroom a really long time, and I just went to the door. I said, are you okay? And the door was open, and he was sitting on the edge of the bed, and he said, I can't remember who I am. It was one of those times where you say to yourself, you have got to stay calm. This can't, you can't make a drama out of this, you know. And so I went and sat down next to him and I said, okay, do you know who I am? Yes, you're Janet. You're visiting from California. Yes, yes. Do you know who you live here with? Yes, I live here with Jonathan. We talked him back. Um, And then after I'd been there two or three days, he... um, it seems like he, he kind of came back fully to himself and felt strong. And he and Jonathan and I took the ferry over from Charlestown into Boston, and we went and had lunch at a pub, and we just laughed. And it was fun. Janet had to go back to California. When I had to come back, because I had to go to work, um, you know, I, I um, hug, hugged them both, and I stepped out the door and started to walk away, and I turned around and looked back, and Daryl was standing in the doorway, smiling at me, the way he used to smile encouragingly at me when I first knew him. It's like, you can do this, you can do this. And I knew that was goodbye. And she was right. I got the actual phone call early the morning after he died. Now, he was in Boston, I was in uh, L.A., um, however, the night before, I was in a hot bubble bath in my home, meditating. And all at once, I wasn't thinking about Daryl, all at once, in my mind's eye, he was lying on a bed, and he sat up, and he was his old, healthy self. Um, because when I saw him, he had lost a ton of weight, he was gaunt in all of this, he was his old, full-faced self, and he smiled at me, and I knew he was dead. I knew he had died. And when Jonathan called and told me the time of death, it was that moment. That's when he passed. And um, it was the same encouraging smile that he had given me at the door when I left. You can do this. You can do this. And she did. In the years that followed, Janet pursued her passions. She got her MBA. She worked for some huge corporations, worked her way up to executive-level positions. And then she returned to what she loved, her passion, storytelling. Janet discovered deep meaning, collaborating with a psychologist— Janet became a storyteller for therapeutic clients, writing metaphorical stories for clients who needed help understanding their problems. And then, three decades after Daryl died, Janet got a message from me, a 28-year-old kid in Montreal saying that he wanted to tell Daryl's story. Now I understand why Janet was so hesitant at the beginning. But despite this, she spoke with that kid for hours. We did nearly eight hours of interviews from November 2019 to February 2020. And then we were finished. And that's when the world changed. Breaking news tonight, the coronavirus forcing millions more Americans into virtual lockdown. Over 75 million people in New York, California, Illinois, and Connecticut ordered to stay at home. I called Janet once I heard California was put into lockdown. I knew she lived alone, and I knew that she was in a high-risk age group for COVID. What I didn't know, at least not then, is that both of us really needed each other at that time. March 5th, 2020. Hi, Janet. I'm just listening to a podcast about the coronavirus in the U.S. right now. Yeah, it really does seem like the healthcare system and public health officials weren't as well prepared as they should have been. March 15th, 2020. Hey, Dane. I hope you and your loved ones are doing well in the middle of the current health crisis. 
So far, we're all okay. Cases are increasing around us, but we're all consistently keeping social distance and washing hands nonstop. Let me know how you are, okay? Janet and I started off as interviewer and subject, as Daryl's ex-wife and the nerd piecing together their story. But as the pandemic started raging, that changed. Janet and I started putting together our own collection of letters. Well, emails, technically. Back and forth. April 12th, 2020. Janet, thought you might enjoy this. It's just very enjoyable storytelling that's not COVID-19 focused. Ira Glass is such a great interviewer, too. He always brings it back to the theme. A queer Montreal kid in his 20s and a divorced Californian writer in her 70s. Janet wasn't the person I expected to support me through the loneliness and isolation of the pandemic. But we started talking all the time. We'd chat on the phone almost every week for an hour or so. I'd pour a liter of red wine into a water bottle and walk around my neighborhood late at night listening to Stephen King audiobooks. That, my friends, is what we call a healthy coping mechanism. When I had a good buzz going, I'd call Janet and we'd just talk. We'd talk about everything and nothing. She'd tell me stories about Daryl and I'd tell her stories about my love life. We were there for each other in a time of separation. Janet supported me after there was a mass shooting in my hometown in April 2020. Good evening and thank you for joining us. We begin tonight with breaking news out of Nova Scotia, where a gunman went on a shooting rampage. April 23rd, 2020. Hi, Dane. I am truly sorry that you and your family and close friends are going through that awful experience on top of the world pandemic chaos right now. And I supported her when the skies turned orange in Sonoma as California was consumed by wildfires. California's historic fires is now August 20th, 2020. Hey, Janet, I'm listening to the news right now, and a reporter in Sonoma is talking about some intense fires and evacuation orders in your area. You doing all right? I'm fine, Dane. So far, my friends and family are not in direct line of fires, but they are spreading fast. We had fun calls, too. For a while, we'd chat while cooking pizzas, and we had a running email thread of our homemade pizza photos. Hi, Janet. Lovely speaking with you. I'm attaching a couple photos of pizzas. Attached is a picture of my most recent creation. It was tasty. Oh, that's a beautiful pizza. Well done. I didn't bring my sourdough starter back to Nova Scotia with me, so I actually haven't made a pizza in a little while. Together, we helped each other through as best we could. So, what can a story actually do? Well, it helped me and Janet become friends. And I like that. Hello. Hello. Hey, Dane. Hey, Janet. Oh, you sound very close. Do I do I sound too close? I give Janet a call in November 2020. It was actually the first call I recorded between us since the pandemic started. Um, well, Janet, Yes, Jane. <laughs> Do you know why I wanted to record our call this week? No. It's because it was one year ago this week that we talked on the phone for the very first time. Oh, you're kidding. No. I. Oh, that's so great. I thought about, you know, the other day I thought, I wonder how long we've been doing this. And I thought, well, it's, it's been maybe a year. I don't know. I should look at the calendar. But, oh, that's great. Wow. And what, what a year it's been. <laughs> yeah, we had no idea when we talked last year. Wow. Wow. And we reflect on our first phone call one year earlier. Yeah, and I remember I was really stressed because <laughs> I sent you a Facebook message and then you sent me an email that was like, hello, I, I actually have all of the rights to, <laughs> to Daryl's plays and written material. Well, I had no idea who you were. No idea. And as you have probably come to figure out, I am very protective of Daryl and his work. You probably figured that out. I, I have an inkling of that now. <laughs> We're comfortable with each other now. It feels easy. Well, now uh, I'm talking to a friend, a friend I've never s- seen in person. There's a different rhythm to the way we speak to each other. Um, the initial conversations were um, 
well-intentioned. But by this point, Janet and I trust each other. In fact, she trusts me enough to let me know a secret about Daryl's writing, about all the plays he wrote. In the same way, you're having, in a sense, resurrected Daryl's work has all kinds of psychological impact. Um, so... Uh, do you mean psychological impact for uh, like on you specifically that you've been? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Because um, um, because as I said, all uh, for all those years, I I had thought to work with Jonathan and you know pull all the plays together for publication. Reminder: Jonathan was Daryl's partner at the time he died, and Jonathan dropped off the map. Um, so I wasn't in touch with him. He had half the plays, and so I only have half the plays. Daryl probably wrote 20 plays or more in his lifetime, but Janet only has half of them. And so, yeah, there's a psychological thing of you're doing this great work um, bringing Daryl's work back to life and uh, his, 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 his life back to life in a way, and yet... Part of that work is lost somewhere. I mean, I had no idea Jonathan was going to go and die on me. I'm sorry. You know, it was like, well, I'll get to that soon. I'll find him soon, and we'll we'll pull together all the all the plays. And um, so when I got online and found out that he had died, what 2017, it was like, oh, I missed that. You know. Now, I have to cut myself a little slack. I was I was really sick for like 15 years, so you got to kind of <laughs> cut me a little slack here. But no, I felt I felt in a way like I'd let Daryl down because I hadn't hadn't been able to tie those ends together, you know. So, there's a box out there in the world somewhere. A box that has half of the plays Daryl wrote in his life. The only copies of those plays. And this box has been lost. Or worse. Once Jonathan died two years ago, I'm guessing his family just, you know, anything they didn't didn't have have a connection to, they would have just tossed. What Janet doesn't know is that at one point, during one of my crazy internet stalking moments, I found Jonathan's entire family. I had already found out that Jonathan was dead, but I also knew that he had a twin brother who was very much still alive. I've just pulled up the the message that I have. Jeff, Jeff is Jonathan's twin's name. Jeff Houston? Houston? Houston. 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 Houston, yeah. So I've got his name and number here. I had never tried to get in touch with Jeff before. I'd found his contact information and added it to my research folder, holding onto it in case I ever needed it. I feel like I'm like on a roll. I might try to just call him today. Okay. Is that crazy? There could be an inch box in the attic. Just like the playwright, William Inge, whose archival box still sits in a library in Kansas. Maybe Daryl has a box, too. There could be an inch box in the attic. I, maybe I'll just do it. We can actually look in that box, if there is one. <laughs> and so, I call Jeff. But you're going to have to wait to hear what happens in that call. i got to move on to a different part of the story for now, but just... Don't forget about that box because it's going to be important later. For now, Act 5, Therapeutic Stories. When we talk, sometimes Janet brings up her own personal philosophy of time. Yes, we are about to get philosophical. Janet believes that it's possible we could all be living the past, present, and the future, all at the same time. There is a, a train of thought that has has research behind it, and I can't quote anything to you, but that we, we, you know, we see ourselves as living in a linear paradigm. We start in the past, we move through, and we go to the future, and then we die, right? But there is, um, in quantum physics, there is a, there is a perception and uh, research going on of our past, present, and future selves all existing simultaneously. This resonates with me, too. I'm not a religious person. I'm not even really a spiritual person. I don't believe in fate. So I find it hard to write about this project, about my encounter with Daryl and his work and his friends. I find it hard to write about it as something meant to be, as something fateful. 
But what if I took a little bit more freedom in my writing? What if I took a page from Janet's book and wrote a story like the ones that she writes these days for her therapeutic clients? I team with a neuropsychologist, Dr. Diane H. Engelman, to create metaphorical stories of people's lives. A fictional story based on a person's actual life. There's always a a mentor advisor, and that's taken out of the person's life somehow, who helps them plan out what the next step in in their life is going to be. A fictional story based on a person's actual life with an important mentor advisor figure taken from their life. A story of hope to help them see what their next step is. Let's give this a go then. There was a man named Daryl, a man who lived in between. And his in-betweenness was a blessing because it allowed him to see other people for who they were, to really see them and to help them feel seen. But it was also a curse because it meant most people could only see one half of him. Daryl used his in-betweenness. He used it to help those who needed guidance. He was a guardian for them. He also used it to write. He wrote stories. Stories about people living in the in-between. Stories about what he saw in life. Farming families. Unnecessary wars and grungy gay clubs. He wrote these stories to help others understand. To help others see him and see those like him. But then, he got sick. Before he could share these stories with the world, he got sick with cancer, lymphoma. A few months before his body died, the lymphoma crossed the blood-brain barrier in Daryl's head, and parts of his consciousness, parts of his essence, started to drift away. He started to forget himself, forget who he was. But in this story, consciousness never dies. It always finds a new vessel, as it drifted from his body like a mist, a part of Daryl's consciousness caught in the wind and was carried through the air. It floated high in the sky above the city of Boston and caught on a jet stream flowing east over the salt spray of the Atlantic Ocean, over the gray seals and the humpback whales, a far cry from the plains of Kansas. And it was only when the wind slowed and the air thickened that this consciousness floated down from the sky over one of the last islands on that side of the world. That part of Daryl's consciousness drifted down and through the open window of a young family's busy home. And that mist settled down on someone new. Someone whose own consciousness hadn't settled yet. A child who'd just been born. A child who had come to have struggles of his own with his own in-betweenness. A child who would come to need Daryl's support and his guidance. A final chance for Daryl to become a guardian. And a kid who, in the end, could finish what Daryl started. He could share Daryl's stories with the world. And so, a little bit of Daryl's consciousness, just a little bit, it latched onto this kid, and they set out on a new adventure. In between together. In this episode, we've connected the timeline. We have a clear picture of Daryl's whole life. It's almost time to share the stories Daryl wrote. But we're not there quite yet. First, there's one chapter that defined Daryl's life. One chapter that we need to dive into a little deeper. And to do that, we're going to turn to someone you heard about very briefly in today's episode. David. Dane, you mentioned not having a strong grasp of the whole Vietnam War dynamic. If you want to talk to someone who was in Vietnam as a young man, who also has done research on the politics and military aspects of the war, and who knew Daryl and knows about the work he did there as reflected in Mustang, my brother would be glad to have a phone call. In the next episode, we're going to hear from Janet's brother. We're going to hear from David. Sirens go off. 
uh, flares start uh, being dropped from aircraft and shot up from artillery. Um, you get into bunkers, uh, you, you drop, you hug the ground, you just get down. And for the uh, 19 and 20 year olds that had just come in the country, we just kind of looked at each other like, oh God, what'd we do? Next time on Resurrection, what happened in Vietnam? Happy birthday 28 years old Nice to meet you This is the real you Resurrection is an independent podcast. If you want to help support us, please rate and review us. It helps us so much. Or consider becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon. The link is in the show notes, or visit patreon.com slash resurrectionpodcast. That's one S double R. Matthew Rogers is our editor and sound designer and wrote all the original music in today's episode, except for the acoustic guitar, which came from Ethan Soil. Davide Kietzeze is the voice of Daryl's letters and scripts. Hannah Sung is our executive producer. Our outro track is called Easy to Love, written for us by Clara Jones. Special thanks to Michelle Soicher, Isabel Deleuze, Katie Hill, Roger Galvez, and Amanda Pelecci. Matthew Carriazzameri is the platonic love of my life and my co-producer. Resurrection is written, researched, and hosted by me, Dane Stewart. The creation of this podcast was made possible thanks to the financial support of the Conseil des Arts de Montréal, the Conseil des Arts et de l'Est du Québec, and the Canada Council for the Arts. Thanks for listening. See you next time. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.